As you know, God's servant, Jonathan, has recently, as it's been said already, received a call to a pastor in Mount Marion, Free Presbyterian Church in East Belfast. And I just thought it'd be good to have Jonathan share with us this morning, preach the Word of God, and maybe if he feels led, just relate something of the leading of God in his life up until this point. So Jonathan, you're so welcome, uh, and we thank God for you. Pray that God will bless you now as you come and open the Scriptures. God bless you, Lord. Good to be here with you this morning. If you have a copy of God's Word, please turn to Genesis chapter 21. And if you have your Bible open there, I'll uh, tell you a little bit about uh, what happened. It was on uh, it was on the 23rd of January that I received a phone call from the Reverend Kieran Salt, the minister in Achille, and he informed me of the vote that took place. A friend of mine had been around earlier in the week and he had mentioned to me, nothing's a secret these days, nothing uh, is hidden. You always know when things are happening, especially if you're involved in certain things. And a friend of mine had mentioned that there was this call that was going to be taking place. And I expected nothing of it. I thought it was going to come, it was going to go, and that would just be it. But I then received that call on that Tuesday evening that the vote was unanimous and that they had called me to be their minister. And I can tell you, I was in shock. The first feeling that I felt uh, when I got that call was a feeling of fear. Fear of being inadequate for the work, fear of not being what the congregation needed me to be. And truly, that was the, the, the real emotion that I felt. Excitement, joy, all of those things, yes, but that overwhelming fear was there as well. And it was the next morning that I came to my quiet time. Uh, thankfully, Isaac was sleeping. I was able to get in and just be alone with the Lord. And I was reading in daily light, and the verse that came up was 1 Thessalonians 5.24. And it says, Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. And that was a tremendous encouragement. That really uh, settled a lot of nerves, uh, because our faithfulness wavers at times, but God's faithfulness never does. And that did give me some peace and assurance, but it wasn't really until I read 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 in my devotions. Uh, and it says there in 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, Timothy was a young minister of the gospel. That's who Paul was writing to. And so I felt that there was specific application in my life. He's not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and of as power and of a sound mind as well. And so I believe that these were the verses that spoke to me. They confirmed to me that this was the Lord's will for me to go and minister in Mount Marion. And we're looking forward to taking up the charge. Do pray for us. Uh, I've been blessed to have two church families growing up. I've been a member of Balamoni in Hebron and also now part of Lisburn for these past number of years. I don't even want to guess how many years. I'm really bad at maths. My memory's really bad. Ask Lauren, she'll tell me. But for the past, I'm going to guess, three years, I've been with this church, uh, part of this church, and I just want to thank you all for your prayers, your support and encouragement, and I want to thank you for allowing me to be part of your church family here for a time. And it's not goodbye, it's not we'll never see you again, uh, but I might steal your minister every so often just for a, a meeting or two, so don't hold that against me. Uh, Genesis chapter 21, we want to read. Just the opening eight verses here of this passage. 
Genesis 21, it details for us the, the birth of Isaac. So there's no points for guessing what we're going to be speaking on this morning. Genesis chapter 21, and the verse 1, let's hear God's word. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God had commanded him. And Abraham was an hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh, so that all that hear will laugh with me. And she said, Who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should have given children suck? For I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. Amen. Let's have a word of prayer and ask that the Lord will speak to us through his word this morning. You pray in your own heart that God will open up your heart to receive his word today. And ultimately, if you're not saved, to receive his salvation. Let's bow for a moment's prayer. Our eternal God and our Father in heaven, we thank you for the Bible. We thank you, Lord, for even here in this congregation what we've been learning about the past number of weeks from the Reverend Higginson about the Bible, thy word what it means to us, Lord. We thank you for the inspiration of the Scriptures as we learned about recently. We thank you that this is the God-breathed book. This is the Word of God to our lives. Lord, we thank you that it can minister to every situation that we face in life. Lord, we thank you that we not only have a revelation that speaks to every situation, but we have a Savior that ministers in every situation. And Lord, we pray that today, you administer. Minister through your word, we pray. May it speak to the hearts of those gathered here. And we ask that you administer through your Holy Spirit as well. Lord, empty me of self. Empty me of anything that is all of me. And Lord, I pray that today, this morning, all glory would go to the Savior. That every eye would be fixed on him. And that they would see the beauty of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray, bless thy word to us. Bless us as we meditate upon it for a while. Speak to our hearts. For we ask these things in the precious name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Good things always come in threes. Isn't that what they say? This comes from what is known as the, the rule of three. The rule of three. It's a principle that suggests that things that come in three are inherently more satisfying memorable and effective. You see what I did there? It came in three. Let me give you a couple of examples of things that come in three. In Alexander Dumas' book, The Three Musketeers, you'll have read of Athos, Aramis, and Porthos, The Three Musketeers. And if you didn't know their names, well, now you know. Uh, there, for those who enjoy art, there are three primary colors. And we had to check this last night. I came down to Lauren and I asked, how many primary colors are there? And she said, there's four. Like, is there not three? So I had to Google it. Google always has the answers, thankfully. Three primary colors, uh, red, green, and blue. Let me get that right for any art enthusiasts this morning. 
red, green, and blue. And from these colors, you can mix to get almost every color, pretty much every color on the spectrum. Perhaps you're a fan of movies. Maybe you like comedy movies. You'll have heard of the Three Stooges, Moe, Larry, and Curly. And I'm sure everyone knows Three Stooges. If you perhaps prefer fantasy movies, you'll have heard of Aragon, Legolas, and Gimli. Perhaps you like animated movies, Shrek, Donkey, and Fiona. Or maybe you're more into cartoons. You'll have heard of SpongeBob, Patrick, and Squidward. I could list off many, many more famous trios. There are umpteen numbers of them online. And in all areas of life, we see them come into play. Even here in church, we see trios come into play. Usually on a Sunday morning, what will the preacher have? He'll have three points. I'm not going to tell you how many points I have this morning. You'll have to listen to find that out for yourself. But when we come to the scriptures, trios, we see that there are many trios in the Bible that they are inseparably and closely linked. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. There were three young men who stood for the Lord in Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then the inner circle of Jesus' disciples, Peter, James, and John, trios. And ultimately, the greatest trio that we have, the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in the Bible, there are 32 times that we read of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this is what are known as the patriarchs of Israel. Many times in the Bible, when someone was speaking about the God of Israel, the God of the Hebrews, they would refer to him as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob. And there are many details that we read of about the life of Abraham. We read of his call out of the land of Ur to go where the Lord had called him. We read of his time in Egypt. And we read of his time with Lot, his nephew. Their travels together, the strife that broke out among their herdsmen, and how Abraham prayed for Lot and his family to be saved from destruction in Sodom and Gomorrah. We read quite a lot about Abraham. And then we see that there are many details given about Jacob and his life. He was given that name Israel. We read of his deception in stealing his brother's birthright. We see his encounters with the Lord. We read of his service to Laban, among many other things. Yet in comparison to these other two patriarchs, there is less to read about Isaac. But just because there's less to read does not mean it is of any less importance. It does not mean that there is any less significance to it. There's much that we can learn here from this passage in Genesis 21 about the birth of Isaac. And therefore this morning I want us to consider this passage of Scripture under the title, When God Gave a Son. When God Gave a Son. And what do we see in this passage, When God Gave a Son? First of all, we see, when God gave a son, he kept his promise. He kept his promise. We read that there in verse 1 and 2 as well. It says in verses 1 and 2, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. And then we see that at the set time of which God had spoken to him, she conceived Isaac, their son. We read that God visited Sarah as he said. He kept his word. And this is a wonderful truth that comes up time and time again in the Bible. I was trying to research how many promises there are in the Bible there's many different theories about it. There's many different numbers that you'll get. I'm going with 14,000. That's one of the ones that I found. There's 14,000 promises in the Bible, and God has not broken one of them. Not a single one. And therefore, the one 
that he made to Sarah was no different. The one that he made to Abraham was no different. We read of God giving the promise back a number of chapters in Genesis 17. In Genesis 17, we read of this promise that God gives. Genesis 17 verse 19 says there, And God said unto Abraham, that is, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed. Sarah will bear a son. If you know anything about Sarah and Abraham, you will know that this was quite the promise because Abraham was around 100 years old when Isaac was promised. And so too was Sarah. They were past childbearing age. They were past the age where it was even going to be possible physically. And yet we see God was faithful to his promise. And so I want us to think this morning for a little while about that promise he made to Abraham and Sarah. Because in verse 1 we see there, it says that the Lord visited Sarah. Visited Sarah. It's an interesting phrase because we read of many different people in the Bible that the Lord visited. It has positive connotations, but negative connotations also. For Sarah, it was positive because he was bringing her what he had promised to her. Sarah longed for a son. She was barren. She wanted a child, and God promised that that child would come. He visited her, and that was a positive, a very positive thing. We read of God visiting Bethlehem in Ruth chapter 1, verse 6. There was famine in the land, but God visited them with bread, provided them what they needed. In Luke 1, verse 68, we read of Zechariah telling us of the greatest visitation that there is of God. He spoke of how God had visited in salvation and redemption to his people and rejoicing in that fact. And so there are times when, the God, when God visits and he brings blessing. And it is a wonderful and blessed thing. But there are also times when God visits and it has negative connotations. If you think of Exodus chapter 20, when God gave the Ten Commandments, in Exodus 20 verse 5, it says there that God visits the iniquity on them that hate him. He visits iniquity on them that hate him. And the truth is, when we read in the Bible of the Lord visiting, it spells either joy and blessing for the child of God, for those that are saved, but it spells fear and judgment for those that are unbelieving. Let me ask you this morning, be straight with me, be honest with me. You don't have to speak out verbally. Be honest in your own heart. Be honest in your own soul. I wonder which category you fall into there. When the Lord visits, is it blessed or is it fearful? Are you believing or unbelieving? I'm not asking, did you once say a prayer and you thought that was enough? I'm not asking, do you believe that Jesus was real and that he is a savior? This morning, answer honestly in your heart the question, am I saved? Am I a believer in Christ, a follower of him, or am I lost, an unbeliever? One who is currently on a path for eternal destruction. It's a very serious question we must consider. Because the Lord one day will visit this world again. He visited 2,000 years ago in the manger in Bethlehem. Was here in this world. Lived that perfect and sinless life. He went to the cross. Fulfilled that promise to purchase a full, free, and a perfect salvation. For you and for me. For all who would come to him. Sinclair Ferguson, he said, when you look at the cross, what do you see? You see God's faithfulness. 
Nothing, not even the instinct to spare his own son, will turn him back from keeping his word. Fathers in here today, you will know that when you look at that child, when you look at your son, your daughter, you would do anything for them in the world. You would lay down your own life for them. Not even the instinct of God to spare his own son kept God from keeping his word. He promised a savior. He delivered a savior. What a wonderful truth about how God keeps his promises. But when the Lord comes again, when he visits again, the Bible tells us that he will not come this time with salvation, but he will come with judgment. Yes, he will come with salvation for his people to bring them home to be with him in glory. But he will also bring judgment for those that remain and have never placed their faith in him. It's a promise from God. He will be faithful to that promise. He will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. And he will bring judgment on whom he will bring judgment. Where do you stand this morning? Notice also here in this chapter that God, he didn't just visit and fulfill that promise to Abraham right when they were expecting it. Notice that phrase in verse 2. It says at the end of it, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. God made the promise. If it was left down to them, they would have probably wanted Isaac a lot sooner. It couldn't have been easy having an Isaac at 100 years old. Lauren and I are in our mid-twenties. We're still in our mid-twenties. We're in the latter part of it now, but we're still there. And it's difficult enough looking after an Isaac. But being 100 years old, looking after a baby... I'm sure that was not when they were expecting it. Not when, Abraham and Isaac would have, or not when Abraham and Sarah would have chosen to have had Isaac. But we read here in verse 2 that at the set time of which God had spoken to him, Isaac came to the world. God always fulfills his promises right on time. Romans 9 verse 9 says there, For this is the promise, it's the word of promise. At this time will I come and Sarah shall have a son. Isaac was the son of promise and he was given to Abraham and Sarah right at the design time, right at the perfect moment in history. And Sarah was able to hold on to that promise that God made. We read in Hebrews 11 verse 11, through faith also Sarah received herself strength to conceive seed and she was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. She judged him faithful who had promised. She wasn't relying on her own faithfulness in God. She wasn't relying on the faithfulness that she had to the promise that God made. No, she judged him faithful. She judged God faithful because he would be faithful to his promise. It was his faithfulness to his promise that gave Sarah strength and encouragement that Isaac would be born. And child of God, I do not know your circumstances this morning. You may be on the mountaintop full of joy. You may be experiencing a deep valley of sorrow. Or you may just be coasting along somewhere in the middle. Our lives are constantly fluctuating up and down. But as children of God, as believers, we have one great constant in this life. That is God. The one who never fluctuates in his faithfulness to his promise. We sang about those promises earlier in the service. 
God will not forget us in our time of need. He will hold us in the storms of life. He will care for us. Why? Because He's our Redeemer. These are wonderful promises from God. And so when God visited with Abraham and Sarah, when God gave a son, first of all, we see that He kept His promise. Secondly, notice with me here in this chapter that when God gave a son, He gave him his name. He gave him his name. Verse 3, read it with me there. Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac. And I think I can confidently say in here today that no one in this building has got their name as a direct revelation from God. Most parents are drawn towards certain names for different reasons. Some like the sound of a name. It rolls off the tongue well. Some stay, perhaps they stay clear of a name because it clashes with a surname. No offense, Mr. Higginson, but Roger Rogers, don't know if that would really work as a name. Stephen Stevens probably wouldn't really work as a name. There are certain names that you perhaps don't choose because of how they go with a surname. And parents can be drawn to certain names because of the sentimental significance they have. Family members who they were close with, whom they loved. Friends that they had that they loved. And therefore they named their child after them. But I would dare say that most Christians choose their child's name because of its meaning. As an affirmation over their life. For example, my parents called me Jonathan, which means gift of God. They must have truly thought they were blessed when they got me. Take from that what you will. But when it came to Isaac, Abraham and Sarah didn't choose the name. If you turn back to Genesis 17 again, you'll see that it wasn't by their design that Isaac was given that name. Genesis 17, verse 19. We read the opening part of that verse a moment ago. Genesis 17, verse 19. God said, Sarah, thy wife, shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. This was a divinely granted name. This was a divinely given name. And its meaning has great significance. Originally, the name Isaac was something of a rebuke to Abraham and Sarah because of their laughter. In that chapter, Genesis 17, we read in verse 17 that Abraham, he fell on his face and he laughed and said, In his heart shall a child be born to him that is a hundred years old. And shall Sarah in her ninety years old bear? He laughed. In Genesis 18, we read of the angel of the Lord appearing to Abraham and to Sarah as well. There in Genesis 18, verses 10 through to 14, we read there about Sarah. The promise was given, I will certainly return. In verse 10, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah, thy wife, shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door which was behind him. And then we see in verse 11 that they were stricken in years. They didn't believe it would be possible. Verse 12, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, also being old? The Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Surely shall I of surety bear a child which am old? And then 
angel replies in verse 14, those wonderful words, is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, there it is again, in God's season, in God's perfect time, He will fulfill His promise. At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But when they first heard this news, they laughed. Their laugh was one of unbelief, but the Lord turned that laughter of derision and turned it into laughter of joy. And that is the meaning of the name Isaac. Laughter. Rejoicing. And on that note, I wonder how often we as Christians laugh. I know that you've heard it quoted from this pulpit before. Billy Sunday once said, the trouble with many Christian men, and the trouble with many Christians is that they've just got enough religion to make themselves miserable. If there's not joy in religion, you've got a leak in your religion. Those are very true words. There's a fuller knowledge of God, His blessed Son, Jesus Christ, does not bring you to rejoice. Even to rejoice with laughter that this is the God who has set His affection on you. That even though you've sinned against Him, even though you've rebelled against Him, even though you've disobeyed His commandments time and time again, yet He still sets His love upon you. That causes great rejoicing. Joy enough for laughter. I wonder, are you a cheerful Christian today? Are you a cheerful Christian today? If so, child of God, tell your face. It speaks volumes. Perhaps you're struggling today because of your circumstances, and therefore you can say that it's hard. It's hard to keep a smile on the face. It's hard to laugh in these days when things are like this. That hymn that we sing all too often, the children of the Lord have a right to shout and sing. It's very true, but we don't always do it. And this is because difficulties and hardships can get in the way of our Christian joy. But what I would like to bring to your attention this morning, if you're in that kind of situation, there are certain names that God gives to you. God gave the name Isaac, and it was a great truth over his life. But there are names that God gives to you as His child. I want you to ponder them this afternoon. We're not going to take any time. I'm just going to mention them. But in John 1 verse 12, He calls you His child. His own child. In John 15 verse 15, He calls you a friend. In Romans 3 verse 24, He calls you justified and redeemed. Wonderful truth. In Romans 8 17, He calls you an heir and a joint heir with Christ. In Ephesians 1 verse 4, He calls you chosen in Christ. Philippians 3 verse 20, He calls you a citizen of heaven. And Galatians 5 verse 1, He calls you free. Free from bondage. Whatever your circumstances are today, God has given many names in the Scriptures to bring comfort. But to get back to that name Isaac for a moment, we see that Paul, in his letter to the church at Galatia, he told them to think about the name Isaac. And he said in Galatians 4 verse 28, Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. Isaac was a child of promise. And ultimately, that name Isaac was a promise. Through Isaac and his offspring, the Bible tells us that all the nations of the world would be blessed, would have cause to rejoice, would have cause to laugh. Why? Because Jesus Christ, the Savior, would be born of that line. Isaac is a wonderful picture or type of Christ. 
You ever think about that? Both were specially promised sons. Isaac was promised. Christ was promised. Both conceptions were miraculous. It was a miracle that Sarah was able to give birth, and the virgin birth is the miracle of all miracles. Both mothers were given assurance by truth of God's omnipotence. They were reassured by the angel. Both were given names with rich meaning before they were born. Isaac meaning laughter, Jesus meaning Savior. Both births occurred at God's appointed time. Galatians 4 verse 4 says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son. And both births were accompanied with great joy. The angels, they sang, glory to God in the highest when Christ was born. And there was great joy when Isaac was born to Abraham and Sarah. We read in the New Testament that Jesus Himself said in John 8 verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. How did he see it? He saw it in his son, in Isaac, the one who was promised. Through that seed, all the nations of the world will be blessed. How are we blessed? With salvation. With a Savior that saves from sin. He looked to a day when God would send his chosen and appointed son to come into this world, to die on a cross, to save us, to be his people. And I wonder today, and I ask you the question, is he your savior? So when God gave a son, we see that he kept his promise. When God gave a son, he gave him his name. And finally, I would like you to see, when God gave a son, he commanded him to be set apart. Verse 4 says there that Abraham circumcised his son Isaac being eight days old as God had commanded him. Circumcision was something that separated the nation of Israel. The act of circumcision was, was one that set the children of Israel apart, both, both literally and symbolically. Physically, there was a difference in the people, and spiritually, they were a different people from the surrounding nations. And this was what God commanded of Abraham and his offspring. He wanted them to be set apart. And so what do we learn from this in closing? Colossians 2, please turn there. It's the final portion of God's Word that we'll turn to this morning. Colossians 2 and verses 8 through to 11. Colossians 2 and verse 8. Paul here says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised, with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ." When Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, he had to address this issue of circumcision because it became a contentious subject in the church. Do we still circumcise? Do we not circumcise anymore? What's the protocol? What's the law? What does God say? And so he tells the church, yes, circumcision is still a practice, but now it is spiritual circumcision, a cutting off of the fleshy heart, the sinful heart and its habits. And this is so that we can be set apart, so that we can be a holy and peculiar people to the Lord. 
Usually when we think of holiness, we think of moral purity, and God is the greatest morally pure being in this world. And that is right. But holiness also means to be set apart, to be different. Listen to William Farley. He said, the more holy someone or something is, the more separate he or she is from that which is common or normal. The opposite of holiness is not sinfulness, it is commonness. Or to use the old world word, profaneness. When God says He is holy, He means that He is different from us. He means that He is constantly and actively separate from all sin, from all wickedness, from all evil, and from all moral corruption. That is, that, he, that it is common in the world. And so to be holy not only means to be morally pure, to be morally right, but it means to be set apart. And this was what Abraham was called to do for Isaac. He was called to set him apart. To make him different from the world. And I wonder today, child of God, are you separate from the world? Different, set apart for God, for fellowshipping with Him day after day. For striving to to cut off our flesh every day. By the help of the Holy Spirit so that we can live lives that honor and please our Savior. Let that be our prayer today. This is what happened in Genesis 21 when God gave a son. When God gave a son to Abraham and Sarah, he was faithful to his promise. He gave him a name and he called him to be set apart. And I trust and pray that we will learn from these lessons in Genesis 21 that we will know that God is a God who keeps promises. That we will know that God gives us a name as his children and that we will be set apart for him and for his service. Amen.